Madness. Yeah, we're here. We did it again. That's the second time. We've only, I think we've only ever re-recorded an intro like two or three times out of like 80 something shots. So yeah, I take that common. track record. It doesn't happen all the time. Um, but every once in a while we get to take a second shot at it. And this is one of those. So we're, we're back. We're here. Um, we're not together, but we're clo- we're as close to together as we're going to get in these trying <laughs> times. So I, I'll take what I can get at this point. We have leveraged all that technology has to offer. <laughs> Including like eight monitors, but one of them has audio. We're lo- using four different services. Four. None of us are, we're not looking at each other, but we see each It's fucked up, man. It's I bad. I using two different wireless mice to control two different computers. <laughs> because one of them has my book and a webcam for Nathan to see me. And the other one has three goddamn screens for me to connect to this call, see him, and record audio. We are and just- have Twitter up in the background. Don't, don't lie yeah, to me. I, I, God damn it, I'm staring right at Twitter right now. I know you are. I've met you. I know who you are. I get it. I got it. So no, we're 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 back at it again. Week what is this? God now, week five four or five of quarantine, it feels it, like it is that, yeah. something like that. We're in like we're that. in the good day. We're in the good times. Um well, this is what? This is the seventh episode of Black Reconstruction and we had It is seventh episode, yeah. Two before quarantine? So, I feel yeah, like we had two before quarantine, yeah. So week five sounds week five sounds about right. Week sounds sounds about right. Yeah. So here we here we are. No uh no shockingly new no shockingly new news in the last oh six days since I've been around at least. Um I mean there's there's the uh quote unquote protests uh to reopen businesses. (laughs) Okay, yeah, let's say you know what? I almost I'm afraid to take that too early because it'll come back, but let's I, again, oh, I, I said at the end of last episode, Nathan's going to read ahead to get ready. For, no, he's not. You all know me. You know what I do. And it's not read ahead. It's play Final Fantasy fourteen for fuck's sake. That's all. Come on now. But uh, no, if you, I mean, the, the same people that are out protesting that we need to get back to work and we've got to, we want to work, we want to work, that all then get interviewed and say, we, I'm unemployed for the... I, my employees desperately need us to go back to work. Like it's all small business tyrants and they're like out here protesting. And I feel like uh, the planters would absolutely be part of that group out there protesting that we got to open the economy back up, baby. Yeah. I mean, I will, you know, the farmers are already there. There's all kinds of food destruction. They haven't just been flushing milk as we knew a week ago. Uh, Recently, I think it was Bloomberg or Forbes came out with a video of them just destroying like crops like lettuce and, and things like that to try to keep the prices up. And it's like, you know, people could – it's not that there's no demand for food. People no. don't stop eating because they're in quarantine. That's no. the stupidest thought so, ever. Yeah, as if, if, if anyone could see this video call right now, you would know for a fact that at least one half of this podcast didn't stop eating because of quarantine. Um, <laughs> no, no. No, no, I did not. I, I kept I kept plowing through like a like an Ameri- like a good, I'm just, good trooper. I'm just putting all my weight into my beard. That's what I'm doing. Uh-huh, yeah, I, I, I finally got rid of mine a little while ago. It was not good, guys. Y'all didn't want it. I am at the point though where I will go to a Walmart tomorrow, buy a uh, a sharp blade, and just shave off all my hair because I am sick of yeah. it and it, it, it irritates me. So we're yeah. we're getting to that level in this in this at least section of the world. But yeah. yeah. So speaking but, of those good planters yeah. that were out there, David, what else? What else is going on in the world? Well, I mean, there's of course farmers destroying food. There's uh, of course Trump in s- further encircling China, uh, including ramping up troops at. <laughs> Guam, uh, you're which is not, kind of the, the launching pad towards, you know, the Koreas, but also towards China. You're not going to um, encircle 
the great crouching tiger. No, 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 no. You don't encircle <laughs> President G. No, 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 no. No, um, not going to happen. Good know, try. We know this has been coming for a while with the trade wars and, and with all the hubbub about the South China Sea. Yes, South China Sea in the name, South China Sea. Um, so it's been coming for a while, but Trump is definitely ramping it up. Trump is definitely pushing troops, um, has had troops confirmed land in Colombia, um, kind of heading towards Venezuela. But I, I, I don't know if he's going to use them to openly invade or they're just threatening, but that's kind of a scary thing. Um, and he's definitely using this to to push every bit of his agenda, um, along with, of course, the, the crippling sanctions on Iran, everything like that. So, you know, I mean, it's scary scary things out there uh obviously there's trump supporters who are quote unquote protesting to go back to work uh like me and nathan just said and there are people that like want to go shopping more and want to get their haircuts and oh that the person that pointed to their roots as if there was a national crisis abroad because they couldn't cover up the fact that they were old and losing their hair color my favorite one was my husband's never been on unemployment we have employees like yeah no you just want to fucking exploit people (laughs) we are not quite able to uh extract the amount of excess value surplus value that that we're used to extracting. I would like to get back to that, please. Yeah. And then, of course, China, finally, uh, they started a project at the end of March, and it was to find, get the death toll as, as correct as possible on uh, COVID-19, which is, you know, they want to get the truth out there, and they, they do it in good faith. And so they had a three-week-in-working report come out um, on the 15th, on the 15th or 16th, um, come out and add about 1,200 new deaths to the toll. And this these were people that, like, in the, the peak of the virus couldn't be, you know, make it into a hospital or couldn't be moved into a hospital and essentially died in their homes. And then they didn't get counted because they didn't die in the hospital to confirm it was COVID uh, because they didn't go through the, the fever clinics. I strongly encourage people as much as I would normally direct you way away from Maddow and the New York times, uh, the interview with the New York times uh, health guy with Maddow who describes how they actually treat the virus in China and how they do so much more than just stay in isolation is, is a really good interview. Um, but um, of course they went back to find that death toll and they added it to the death toll. And, and how does that come out to the China watchers, the anti-China, anti-China people? We knew they were lying. They're still lying. It's just a tiny amount. Da, 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 da. It's like, why would they, yeah. they release that? And if that was, the, you know, that would just be a blast in their credibility if they were out to, to lie. They're trying to get the, the counts right and work in good faith. Yeah. But I mean, people hear things in Sinophobia. And it, it, um, it just it boggles my mind that we assume that we're ascribing this. Oh, well, China must be lying about their number. But the United States, a country openly lying, a country that openly lies about everything and is run by a sociopath and is openly lying about covid specifically like yeah late to get all, the but but we're test. assume yeah. we're all lying at the same level of lying we're still getting crushed like it's still not even close we still are number one with a bullet it's not i well, i just it there's a lot of that yeah on top of that if you see an article claiming china lies if you want responding to that every time, like let's imagine you actually think they're lying on the same rate and that China is lying, which I, I don't is wrong. Obviously, I, I don't right. want it for a second Straight up wrong. insinuate yeah, that I think that's wrong. Be very no. clear. That's 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 you know, obviously there's gonna be some deaths that are just lost in the shuffle and China worked to correct that. That's where the other twelve hundred came in. That yeah. doesn't mean that's necessarily all of them. You never quite and know. I mean this 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 is a tough thing to get, but there's hundred percent lies. No. Right. From China and, and to think that is absurd. So get that out of your head. But let's imagine, just just case study, you are one of those people that swears that China was lying, totally, totally lying, right? 
there's no reason to think it's not on an equal level if that was true, <laughs> especially, yeah. you know, where if they're both lying, obviously the United States would lie more. Uh, but nobody is going around that that's doing this. Well, China lied too, or man, the U.S. lied so bad. At least, you know, that's as bad as anyone but China or, you know, no one does that. <laughs> the same people are not like hearing this accusation, accusation of China lying going, man, they lie worse than anyone but the U.S. Like it's, yeah. it's all one way. Exactly. It's, it's a bunch of xenophobic bullshit is what it is. That's and that's what we, we it was back to that original current events episode we did this whole when we were doing the original current events episode, uh, yeah. me and David were in the same room together. Um, yeah. Obviously, we were <laughs> we were it was at the time it was this is a this is a blown up excuse to go. And that evolved. Yeah. And yet the narrative around it still hasn't. It is still absolutely they've just pivoted where they want to be xenophobic. It went from it's xenophobic because they're barbarians that eat bats to now they've evolved it onto and they're completely lying and are and, and making up their numbers. And they hid this from us for months, even though we were talking about it for months. We were talking about it on the show. For months, for yeah. fuck's sake. Just to point out how hyperbolic and, and outrageous they were being. And oh, they still uh, would have had months press. to prep this. Associ- I mean, Associated Press, AFP, and uh, Reuters are some of the big, big pushes of American propaganda because they look really neutral. They look like the neutral outlet. Oh, yeah. Everybody just bases their reports on. Associated right? Press, there's no bias there. Come on. They're there's the no association. And, and the Associated Press comes out <laughs> and starts saying about like, you know, how China didn't give enough information till January 20th. And there's Associated Press articles about <laughs> China warning about it on the New 15th. SARS virus. Yeah, new <laughs> coronavirus, maybe. It, like, they can't the even hell? get their own shit straight. It's their embarrassing. Yeah, it's it's so bad. They're just such bad liars. And I will say on that episode, you know, I mean, there was a lot we were still learning and I was trying to make oh, a very good yeah. point. Um, and I was trying to make a very good point that, you know, we weren't taking care of our own shit and we were just scaremongering with xenophobia. And I think in that I kind of mentioned uh, something about the fact that we did have a bigger than normal flu pandemic in the country. And that's, of course, something that got uh, abused to downplay this by Trump later. So, oh, anybody- yeah. Uh, feels like I was downplaying it the same way. I apologize. Correction style. That was not my intent. No. The intent was to spell sinophobia. And um, I think that was that was all it ever was. Was The other thing yeah. was is that it had not, when we recorded that episode, it had not yeah. gone anywhere but China. The only models we had to go on were that. And as, as this, again, we were not recording in the same room before there were any shelter in place orders. I mean, again, the, it's not something we've talked about ad nauseum just because I feel like it has been talked about ad nauseum everywhere else. And, and if you're not, if you're going here for your only source of news, I apologize. That's not what we're here for. I would love to be, but we've got, I'm sorry. Um, but you know what's going on with that. But no, I I feel like we've stayed as consistent as we can be, but that's not the focus there at all. Um, uh, and then obviously, of course, this stuff goes, uh, as we've talked about, it, prisons are breeding grounds, uh, ICE detention breeding yeah. grounds, and we need to work very, very hard, not only with, uh, you know, community efforts, uh, now the word is escaping me, uh, community joint collective effort to provide for each other. I've Mutual aid? Mutual aid, thank you. I'm going to make you go back and read Kropotkin's a mutual aid. Like, like this is your punishment for forgetting that word. I was talking about that very book today. And and I, 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 uh, uh, gave someone that article about Kropotkin and Lenin meeting up. It was pretty good. (laughs) Okay. Uh, All right. But anyway, um, 
uh, I was going to say, um, you know, it's important to do mutual aid. It's important to, to fight. And so, you know, keep your eyes peeled for any action, any mutual aid action, any protest calls for action. Uh, phone zaps have been a big thing. I know there are three different phone yeah. zaps uh, in Illinois this last week. Been phone zaps for uh, New York. Um, and, you know, hopefully, I mean, we get phone zaps for ICE detention centers and prisons all around the country. Uh, it's a big thing. So keep an eye out for that as well as, of course, you know, Sending supplies as needed, uh, helping people create and maintain washing stations um, and, and other forms of, of mutual aid organization. You know, the, the same things as normal. Get out there and organize because all of this is to sharpen your praxis. And this is a serious time for praxis. Yeah. And and so transitioning from our mild current events stuff in, back into the text, but still not to the text yet because <laughs> you guys think I'm going to read things. No. Um, no, I, I do want to point this out because I did think I, I mean, again, every time you guys DM us or talk to us or email us, I really, I really do appreciate it because it's awesome. Mostly because, again, it is so... Uh, it's awesome when we get different views on text that, you know, me and David will sit here and yell at each other about, and yet neither of us will still stumble upon. And and this is a great example of that because we got DM'd, uh, the, the, their ad is at Ferris Triangle, F-E-R-R-I-S uh, triangle, how you spell the word triangle. <laughs> but they, they reached out to us on Twitter and it was a really awesome... I mean, because we stopped for a while even and have pointed out a couple times throughout this text how... It feels like Du Bois is being overly generous to the slaveholder, to the planter class, to this group of people that we know historically to be absolute craven monsters. And it doesn't even because he's even doing it as a retrospective. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. I couldn't get my head around. Well, why is he being so, especially as an, as an, as a black man in America, why are you being so goddamn generous to them? And someone yeah. pointed out, it's like, didn't you, hey, you guys read Capital, right? And they were they were far nicer than this, but I felt like an idiot once it got pointed out to me. It's like, you know, Marx <laughs> we're gonna be mean to ourselves. Marx yeah. does the same goddamn thing to capitalism. The guy who is best known for for ripping that system apart points out. It, I think it's what chapter twenty four by the by the right to the end of the book. He does that one chapter where it's like you start feeling bad for the capital. Oh well, they're yeah. It's not their it's, fault. It's, they're bound to this. Yeah, it's it's basically from one to twenty five, but really picks up chapter four to twenty five, where they they go, okay, we're going to go in a nutshell. We're going to pretend that you know all this theory is true, everyone's yeah. in, in good faith, and all your and by your own liberal theory, this is all bullshit, and that's why yeah. he, he you know cites Ricardo so much. Essentially, Du Bois is doing the same thing. You know, these guys don't have to be malicious at all, right? They can perfectly care about and love and, and want the best for these slaves and just be good masters that are just trying to maintain their their farms, and this is what they're driven to. Yeah, this and humanity. That's- is what they're driven to. This treating people like cattle, this this breeding people and beating people and and ripping families apart is is you know what they're driven to. Yeah, and that's and it's very much again. It, it, I think it it does twofold things. It's it's it strengthens your argument amongst impartial observers, people that that aren't aren't partisan to one side or another. Obviously, you know we're in the year twenty twenty. We should and we 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 should think in ourselves. If you thought slaveholding was okay, you probably should get fucked, but. <laughs> Again, in the time he's writing, this is a mildly controversial topic, um, yeah. and and so so being the giving the impartial, just here's my analysis, and here's where it fucking falls short, was probably much more impactful to the time. And two, again, he is a he's an academic, 
and to a large degree, then he's going to be influenced by that. I need to be impartial. I need to dissociate myself and give the proof. And he is proving time and time again, but still doing the same thing Marx did, where he's showing what side he's on. He He's being acerbic to the planters at, at every turn he can, but he's still not ascribed. He, he's not getting, you know, poster level vitriolic at them to the point that someone who was on, you know, in the middle couldn't see that he's giving them a fair shake, quote unquote. So it, it, yeah. it is really an interesting way. I, I do think that looking at it, that Du Bois is doing to slavery exactly what Marx was doing to capital, or capitalism is is the best way to look at at least these early chapters as to what we're doing here. Because yeah, they're doing very similar enterprises. They're trying to do a post mortem essentially of a broken system and explain why it is doomed to failure forever. And yeah, yeah they're they're two of the best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's something that that's usable, you know, in several different cases where you can see that something's flawed, even if you believe the best in people. Because, I mean, we as Marxists do believe people are generally good. Now, people can be driven yes. to be bad by a system and become irrevocably bad. And oh, to that yeah. point, anyone who's not past that point should be reeducated. But there are people who are past that point. But everyone that's even irrevocably bad is driven because of the system, because of this kind of self-interest, right? So we certainly believe people in general, in their hearts, it, you know, pre- predeterminately are good, are communal, are, are cooperative. Um, but also, you know, we can apply this. So you saw Marx apply it in Capital. You see Du Bois apply it here. And we just talked about earlier, you know, this conversation about uh, foods being destroyed on farms. Well, you can put it to like the farm owners, right? They're, if this food, you know, goes down below like $10 or $9 or, you know, $8 a, a crop yield or whatever because they're selling it out because they're not destroying it. Well, now they lose their livelihood. And then who's going to make the food if it's not profitable? Because mm-hmm. the system runs everything on profit, profit, profit. And then everybody starves because there was no profit. And it's like, well, you know, that that's a further indictment on the system, right? Because now yeah. it's not just shitty people. Now it's not that's that's why you can't fall for like, oh, it's just crony capitalism or it's oh it's just the Republicans. <laughs> it's like, no, it's the fucking system. No, it's and the that's, system. That's spelling out there. They're, yeah, I mean, you know, fuck fuck the farmers are throwing the food and it's shitty. But more than fuck the farmers, fuck the system and fuck the people that uphold it. That's the biggest thing. You know, I mean I don't yep. I'm not gonna feel extended uh, sympathy for modern day kulaks who exploit migrant workers, right? But I, I am not going to damn them as the sole creators of the system. The system is the damn problem. This is not just no. pure maliciousness. Even the system, selfishness. The system wants you. The system desperately wants you to find the one or two or four or five people and point at them and go, they're the problem. They need yeah. Bezos and just Gates Trump out of and the Waltons. Yeah, yeah, they need those one or two examples to make it seem yeah. like the rest of the system is respectable. And we talk about they talk about this in, in in Black Reconstruction, Du Bois talked about this. Yeah. That one or two, you know, it was it was a small percentage of the the planting class that did the that held the majority of slaves and had the majority of problems. But as long as you have a system of chattel slavery, there are a set of there are a set of of conditions that you're going to keep reinforcing over and over and over that are going to degrade and and ruin everyone from the top down it's it's yeah. a it's a completely untenable system and that's what he attacks and and that being said oh we've given you 20 minutes of our opinion let's get <laughs> let's get to what the good the good doctor had to say yeah so now we're on page 44 uh gonna yes, start at monocure d conway which is uh um the fourth half, chapter 
the yeah, page. But yeah, but basically not, halfway, not uh, halfway down the page. Yep. So Moncure D. Conway, whose father was a slaveholder near Fredericksburg, Virginia, wrote, as a general thing, the chief pecuniary resource of the border states is the breeding of slaves. And I grieve to say that there is too much ground for the charges, the general licentiousness among the slaves for the purpose of a large increase is compelled by some masters and encouraged by many. The period of maternity is hastened and the average youth of Negro mothers being nearly three years earlier than that of any free race. And an old maid is utterly unknown. Among mm-hmm. them. Jeez, that's pretty rough. Yeah. Can we find- <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you just now blew I'm right Nathan's past faces again, and that was not a good oh, face. Nor yeah, should ex- it be. Uh huh. No, no, because they're all James Wooding. Every single one of the. Oh, yeah. I don't. Yeah, they're they're taking a very libertarian attitude towards age of consent here, and I don't enjoy yeah, any of it. Well, and of, of course they are. I mean, it's just what it's talking about, and is what we were just talking about about the system driving them to that. They need to be younger. They need to be younger. They need to be younger. And so mm. the second that they can bear children they're driven to be bred from and bear as many children as possible. And it says, you know, I mean, no, no one wants to keep the old ladies around. Right. Uh, and now these families are getting ripped apart. So where are you caring for old ladies? So they're just, they're just left to, to whatever, you know, be, be tended slaves of someone or die or, or whatever there is, you know, health complications from these early births. Um, but they're, they're just driven to straight up breed. Um, so we'll continue <laughs> with this gruesomeness. Please. Uh, J.E. Kearney's The English Economist, in his passage with Mr. McHenry on this subject, computed the reliable data that Virginia had bred and exported to the cotton states between the years of 1840 and 1850 no less than 100,000 slaves, which at $500 per head would have yielded her $50 million. And that okay. was $50 in that time money, by the way. Yeah, no big deal. The law sometimes forbade the breaking up of slave families, but not one of these provisions, save those of Louisiana, and and they but slightly in any way referred or hampered the owner of unencumbered slave property. He might sell or pawn mortgage or give it away according to profit or whim, regardless of age or kinship. Hold on. Are we, are we saying that Louisiana is the most like progressive one of the slave states in terms of their laws? No, no, no. He's saying Louisiana is the only one that didn't have these prohibitions. Like technically the selling of the slaves was illegal. It was black market stuff, except in Louisiana. You could just fucking do it in Louisiana. Okay. All right. I mean, again, makes this is there's nowhere in America that's not racist. No, more or less racist is ever a healthy exercise. But from the the 10% plan to the you know seeing how Baton Rouge and New Orleans are now and what happened to Hurricane Katrina. Po- I mean, mostly uh, post Katrina is the best example. To understanding that Louisiana State House was the last one. I don't know if they still have abolished the the State House using uh, prison slaves. Um, for the I think that was government. I think that was Mississippi. That was the last. That was the worst on that uh, one. I'm pretty sure it was Louisiana. Oh no, you may be right. No, Mississippi. Mississippi yeah. was making you work minimum wage jobs while still yeah. being in jail. Like we're yeah, going to okay. work at, at a at a fast food restaurant to work your way out of jail, kind of a thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Louisiana. So I mean, it's not that surprising. So like, if if there was a most racist place in America, and this is not a healthy exercise because no, you know, it, it's a worthless Louis exercise. Where, where where you know cop killings are the worst. Um, I mean, we know what's going on in Chicago now, where they're shutting down schools and opening up prisons and packing prisons uh, full of COVID patients. We know what's going on at Rikers in New York. Uh, but if there was a most racist place and there it was a useful exercise. It might be Louisiana. It I might mean, be, Louisiana but again, pretty pretty terrible ter- history. I it is, and it's it's just 
again, there, there's also a lot of material conditions there that are, yeah. again, we have to be yeah, materialist I mean, well, about that. This, that's the biggest yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is like I'm, I'm using this to draw the materialism out of that. There's not like yeah. a, a more racist gene in Louisiana, you know, white people. Ex- well, I mean, that's the exact part. It's not like, oh, I'm born south of the Mason-Dixon, so I'm inherently more racist. No, there were a set of material conditions that led, and that's what this book is going through. That's what we're talking about now is what yeah. were the conditions that led to this sort of skewed mental standpoint where you could possibly think an entire group of people are less than and the more ingrained you are in those material conditions the more you're going to believe that and that's again that's what we're unpacking as we go through this um, yeah, and the material conditions that that if anywhere is more or less you know structurally racist than anywhere else in america it, it would probably be where the mississippi meets um, the Gulf, and, and that, I mean, yeah. like that's a recurring theme as we discuss Reconstruction, and it makes sense. It ties the history back to the way we see things today. And it, it's yeah, it's it's not like we're just saying it because we want to. We're saying it because there's yeah. evidence. It's not like well, we think yeah. that they're you know, oh well, you know, you're a New Orleans, <laughs> you have a New Orleans Saints hat on, you're probably a racist. It's no, no, but but did you grow up in these circumstances? Was this who your family was? Is this you know, yeah. did did three generations back your family have their entire way of life stripped from them because they had built it on a weird lie? Okay, well, you're probably going to be more predetermined to that. Doesn't make it right, just makes it a thing. Yep. Elsewhere in the typical South, in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Texas, (laughs) there seems to have been no restriction of any sort against separating mothers and children or husbands and wives or selling children of any age. Slavery was indeed a peculiar institution. The slave trading border states, therefore, in their own economic interest, frantically defended slavery, yet opposed the reopening of the African slave trade, to which the southern south was becoming more and more attracted. The slave trade had curious psychological effects upon the planter. When George Washington sold a slave to the West Indies for one hogshed of best rum and molasses and sweetness, it was because the fellow is both a rogue and a runaway. Jesus Christ. Uh, I see. As soon as you say that, any agency, I'm going to sell you for rum. Uh huh. Uh huh. One, just to just to clear it up, so we don't have to edit this out. I don't have page 45, so I will take I will take over at page 46. But beyond that, uh, as soon as you said George Washington, yeah, he's doing atrocious things. But all I can imagine is the beginning of the episode when we were looking on Wish, and I said to that bust of George Washington that just looks like (laughs) just looks like Michelangelo's day. David, but they just put wearing a cape, wearing wearing a very fetching Alucard style Castlevania cape, and that's George Washington, <laughs> according to the Witch <laughs> Wish dot com bust repository. So uh, I love I love Wish. I damn, that fully endorse Wish dot com. Our our Stalin picture came from Wish. Shout out to the our Stalin picture, but uh, yeah, no, that's that's all I can think about. So that's that's what I've been doing for the last thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's an important little passage we just read is is we just talked about Louisiana, but it just cited several other states where, oh, yeah. you know, technically you're not supposed to sell your slaves. You have to you can sell them, but you have to like give them or sell them to a family member, to a relative. You can't just sell them on an open market. Treat them like but, your guns. Yeah, treat them. <laughs> but you noticed it cited what six different states there where. Yeah. Breaking up the families isn't illegal, even though this uh-huh. is supposed to be like some kind of family institution. So as long as you sell them to your nephew that lives two states over, uh, you know, you could take a kid away from their mom, but not in, you know, uh, what did it, it, it didn't cite Kentucky, right? So not in Kentucky, but in Tennessee, that's cool. 
Like, all right, all right, Kentucky. This is your these... one time off the hook. You're you're free to go now. <laughs> I just tried to pluck a Southern State. Rand Paul and Mitch that. McConnell will will come oh, see I you later. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, but that being said, you know, there's all this black market selling that we've been talking about for a page and a half going on anyway. Yeah. Thus, tradition grew up that the sale of a slave of a gentleman's plantation was for a special cause. As time went on and slavery became systematized and commercialized under the Cotton Kingdom, this was absolutely untrue. The buying or selling of slaves was not viewed as having any taint of hated slave trading, yet it early became a fully credited tradition, implicitly accepted generation after generation, that all traders were hated. So supposedly every... I don't like the slave traders. They're they're bad. They're bad. <laughs> I'm gonna go get me some slaves. You know, I mean that's kind of what happened. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus. The sacrifices necessary for economic advance. Southern planters were on a whole too selfish and too provincial to make. Hold on, the sacrifices. Provincial life. Yeah, yeah, you're going to go that way with it. I'm going to go with the sacrifices needed for economic advance and just imagine that they're doing it with slaves and we're doing it with, hey, let's reopen that economy and send people out into a an, into the plague real quick to get going. Weird. That just no, not a lot of not a lot of give and take there. No, no. They would not in any degree curtail consumption in order to furnish at least part of the necessary increase of capital and make dependence upon debt to the North and to Europe less necessary. They did not socialize the ownership of the slave at any large scale or educate him in technique. They did not encourage local and auxiliary industry or manufacture and thus make it possible for their own profit to exploit white labor and give it to an economic foothold. This would have involved, to be sure, increased recognition of democracy, and far from yielding to any such inevitable developments, the South grew itself into the arms of a reaction at least two centuries out of date. Governor McDuffie of South Carolina called the laboring class bleached or unbleached and a dangerous element in the population. A curious argument appeared in the Charleston Mercury of 1861. Within ten, and this is a quote now. Within ten years past, as many as ten thousand slaves have been drawn away from Charleston by the attractive prices of the West, and white laborers from abroad have come to take their places. These laborers have every disposition to work above the slave, and if there were opportunity, would be glad to do so. But there, but without such opportunity, they come into competition with them. They are necessarily restive to the contact. Already there is a disposition to exclude him from the trades, from public works, from drays, and and the tables of the hotels. He is even now excluded from a great extent, and when more when more laborers shall come in a greater numbers to the south, they will still more increase the tendency to exclusion. They will question the right of masters to employ their slaves in any work that they may wish for. They will invoke the aid of legislation. They will use the elective franchise at the end. They will acquire power to determine municipal elections. They will inexorably use it. And thus the town of Charleston, at the very heart of slavery, may become a fortress of democratic power against it. The planters. So, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna talk. You want to talk about things? Well, go ahead, right. David. Nope. You're just happy you could read again. Talk about <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I just want to read so bad, guys. But this, this is something that you know. I mean, we saw in the last chapter, right? These white workers suddenly they have a material competition with slaves, and they they see themselves they better be above slaves, and when they can't be above slaves, they're competing. And so, well, you give the slaves the bad jobs, and so now there is this material competition between you know black laborers uh you know from the freedmen and and the slaves i guess getting kind of clumped together as the black labor here uh and white laborers and the white laborers 
they want to win that competition. And so now the slaves have the planters working against them, and they have this white labor working against them. Um, kind of along the lines of, you know, again, chapter two, along the lines of some stuff we touched on Fanon, along the lines of something you can read if you read J. Sakai Settlers, uh, where, you know, the white proletariat as individuals, you know, we have to see ourselves as a class and we have to be class traders against that white class if we're ever going to liberate ourselves as a, as a proletariat. Um, but, you know, the white labor as a class are going to struggle if ever be able to be a true proletariat. We're going to act as a labor aristocracy and it's always negatively towards the colonized people, towards the, the especially black and indigenous people of color. And this is, again, the material conditions that give rise to that fact, uh, this competition, this integrate, this ingrained superiority, uh, things like that. So we're seeing that pop right back up in the planter uh, discussion here. The planters entirely misconceived the extent to which democracy was spreading in the North. They thought it meant that the laboring class was going to rule the North for labor's own economic interests. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I try no. and go like a whole paragraph without breaking, but God damn it, come on! The answer is no. The answer is no. <laughs> Jesus. Even those who saw the seamy side of slavery were convinced of the righteous of the rightness of the system because they believed that there were seeds of disaster in the North against which slavery would be their protection. Indication that there are already beginning to be felt or anticipated by prophetic minds they think they see in the demands for land limitations, in the anti-rent troubles, in strikes of workmen, in the distress of immigrants, at the eddies of the current in diseased philanthropy, in radical democracy, and in the progress of socialistic ideas in the general. All right, I'm going to stop right there real quick, because uh, if there's one thing I learned after reading uh, Why I Will Not Vote and the rest of this book, Dr. Du Bois loves to throw a fuckload of commas in there and make you convinced that you may have skipped a sentence. <laughs> like, it's just commas for days. It's just like contingent clauses, but they just go and one after this, another. This in a very long chapter subtitled, I feel like Du Bois speaks to me directly through those two aspects of writing. <laughs> He definitely, he definitely is a mood, um, and I'm not gonna lie. Of everyone we've read outside of maybe Lenin, Du Bois is quickly, quickly ascending to my favorite writer of everyone we've read. It's it's getting very dangerous. Uh, yeah. The North say they has progressed under the high pressure of unlimited competition. Hope pause for laughter. <laughs> Bullshit. Uh, as the population grows denser, there will be terrific explosions, disaster, and ruin while they will ride and quietly and safely at the anchor of slavery. Now, this is all, of course, a quote of a reactionary planter. And we, we've talked, we've talked at, at how people really need to realize that there truly is one political party and separating, you know, conservatives from liberals. Well, while it points useful is really something we got to combat against yeah. because there's way too much of it. Now that said, this is another point where it is useful. And this is where you kind of see the Republican 
everyone to the left of me is a communist. Liberal is a communist and da, 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 right? You know, in the, in the North, they don't have slavery. And then all these, you know, radical rent strikes and the socialism and, and everything like that's going to, and we have to hold on to our slavery to protect against the socialists. And so, you know, a very, very liberal free market abolitionist that, you know, one of these Republicans that caused the downfall of reconstruction that we'll be talking about later in the book to them is these, is bringing on the socialism. And none of that changes in reactionaries today. Nope, not even a little. <sighs> Thus, the planters of the South walked straight into the face of modern economic progress. The North had yielded to democracy, but only because democracy was curbed by a dictatorship of property and investment, which left in the hands of the leaders of industry such economic power as ensured their mastery and their profits. Less than this, they knew perfectly well they could not yield, and more than this, they would not. They remained masters of the economic destiny of America. In the South, on the other hand, the planters walked in quite the opposite direction, excluding the poor whites from every economic foothold, which apparently no conception of the danger of these five million workers who, in time, overthrew the planters and utterly submerged them after the Civil War. And the South was equally determined to regard its four million slaves as a class of submerged workers. And to this ideal, they and their successors still cling. Guys, uh, update, mild update. They still cling to it. Yeah. Still clinging. 2020, clinging hard. Yeah, I also do like Du Bois just like casually naming what the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie is in the North. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, this is this is a guy that, to to the best of our knowledge, still was still not wholly immersed in Marxist, but Marxist no, and ideology. Saw, and we saw but, why in the last chapter. Oh, hundred percent. You know, not faulting Marxists, and yeah, um, but he clearly understands Marx and would eventually be a Marxist. Yeah. And you can see the materialism here. But he's articulate. I mean, he's articulating Marx. He's articulating. He's articulating Lenin. You know, from a lot of imperial the, the North at this time is very much getting into the imperialism side of things maybe a little early still but but it's all kind of you know side by siding itself right now yeah and this is also why it's important to read you know the, this uh black philosophy um from you know du bois and not just you know a white philosophy from you know lenin and and marx and obviously you know they weren't well lenin was but marx and and stalin weren't you know white in their time but that doesn't really matter not anymore no to, yeah you know exactly please god let's not rehash the current twitter debate of oh, is is stalin a poc that is please god no what is important is, is i would rather is, debate is a is hot theory. dog a sandwich before i have to debate whether or not stalin is a poc again yeah no i mean what's more important is his theory useful to us today and of course yes it is. Uh, but but uh, what's important here, and this is why we have to, to understand, you know, this theory from colonized people, is Du Bois is putting it plainly. He's he's putting Marx in terms that directly apply to our material conditions here in the United States and directly yep. apply to the up the, the falling of Reconstruction, the uprising of racism um, and the realities of slavery. And he's also applying it to the South, which it matters to a lot. But is also a little different, and he's taking that dialectical materialism and he's applying it to the the slave, the uh, agrarian U.S. South, yeah. in a way that isn't explicitly in any of Marx's work. Even Marx talked about, you know, freeing the black man from his chains in order to free the white worker in America. It was a quick riff in Capital. There's nothing in Marx that actually explicitly details uh, dialectical materialism in in the agrarian South of the United States, and 
Du Bois is doing that because this is what he observes. This is what he cares about. This is what he's, it's his, battle in front of him. It's his lived experience. It's the thing that yeah. he understood intrinsically because, again, there is only so far. It's the it's the it's Mao. It's the, there's only so far that theory and isolation will take you. You have to live yeah. it. You have to experience it. You have to struggle with a thing before you're going to have any kind of concept of what it actually means when the rubber hits the road. And if to someone, I cannot even imagine. Cause again, I think I'm in that point where I would almost be in Marx's shoes. I am a person who has grown up so far removed from the concept of chattel slavery as a reality of my day to day life that I yeah. cannot functionally even in, even incorporate it into any sort of working model that I'm thinking about. I just, I just wouldn't be able to do it because it's yeah. so far gone and it's existed in such a little like time capsule that I wouldn't have it. Marx was very it was dealing with similar levels of isolation from it because it was never the factory system and 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 the the wage labor had nothing to do the concept of introducing chattel slavery on top of that was not something that he really really engaged with other than in the abstract and the the way the voices is just hitting so much clearer because it, it's so obvious as someone that has lived in this country mm-hmm. for my whole life. Yes. All of these are very in the same way that capital was a very obvious truth about the economic system I've lived under. This is a very odd, like, Oh, well yeah, fuck yeah. Of course that's it to the, the overarching white supremacist and, and racist culture that I've grown up in. This is, yeah, yeah all of this, all of this rings so, so true. And it's vital to the battles we have to do today. It's vital to us understanding, yes. you know, it, this is vital to us not becoming class reductionists and understanding that we're fighting, you know, simultaneously uh, for anti-imperialism, decolonialism and socialism all at once, you know, and he's doing it instructively again, you know, right from what he sees in front of his face. So he's illuminating us to the stuff that we wouldn't have imagined and explains our politics. Now it explains the similarities in the parties and how they have the same battle it explains the differences uh, and where they do matter in the parties we have today, it explains the racism of even white proletarians and the you know white chauvinism that has bred so deeply through this country. It explains where in other parts of the world labor can be such a big movement towards socialism and such a big fight against reaction, and yet it's been such a big tool for reaction in the United States. Um, and he puts it all so plainly here, just from his observation from this chunk of history. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So and it makes it all it, it also it makes perfect sense because again when when the the rise and again I don't want to get caught on this too hard but the rise you know when you have this concept of class and class kind of ide- identifying everything well t- to Marx and and even I get I think to a certain more extent even you know Lenin and and the 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 European socialist thinkers you know, you're thinking of class. You're thinking of the entire working class. Basically, everyone under bourgeoisie was either, uh, you know, proletariat or lumpen proletariat. And lumpen proletariat were not, dis- we're not born into lumpen proletariat. You know, there, there wasn't some, there wasn't like a, a caste system of Europe. It was, it was almost all by some level of, you know, you're born into well, a, the exception of peasants. Exactly, but I don't even think we're talking about peasants here. We're yeah. talking about in America. You have not only the proletariat the ruling class you have you know you you have the the bourgeoisie and then below all of this you 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 have the proletariat fighting against something that isn't even described in articulate articulate in marxist terms the concept of chattel slavery is not even conceptualized when we're talking in capital because he didn't consider it an issue anymore functionally yeah 
this is the real the real proletariat of the United States is the colonized proletariat. And so when Lenin talked about he talked about a labor aristocracy, which we would think about as like Wall Street brokers, right? You know, I mean, stock traders and stuff like that. Small business tyrants. Um, yeah, small business tyrants. Um, we need to start thinking about even the lowest of the low, anyone who is white in the proletariat as a labor aristocracy. Yes. And this, yes. And this is the book that illuminates that. The, and the colonized proletariat is the proletariat. Yes. And that's, some, again, I think that is something that when we, we, when we talk about these beasts, we, you know, people getting into Twitter fights and stuff like that and not being able to understand, well, no, I am a, I, I am a Marx. I'm a, I'm a, I can be a full blown communist. I, I absolutely recognize that, that, you know, the working class needs to, you know, but if you're not, if you're not recognized, especially in America specifically, I don't want to make this some exceptionalism thing, but in the United States, if you're not reckoning with this difference between the difference between a colonized member of the working class and a, a white member of the working class, you, you haven't you haven't gotten far enough yet because that is a, that is a substantial gulf. That that no, our our friends in Russia, thankfully, God willing, didn't necessarily have to cross. They had to cross the peasant. They had the, they had a peasant question, but the, if you if you even go back and read the peasant question in context, that's nothing like what we're talking about with the question of slavery and whether or not a yeah. person is a human being fundamentally. Like this is so radically different that again, it is worth it to not don't get caught up. I, you know, well, you know, Marx didn't talk about it or Lenin didn't talk about it, so it's not. You know, uh, this this you're getting caught up. Stop being worried about it. Just worry about the working class. No, 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 no. The, the conditions are fundamentally different, and that has led to a fundamentally different way we need to evolve. And I think that's hampering our ability to really move socialism forward in this country because we're not. We're not taking into account the unique situation that is America's colonialism that it has. Yeah, and between not only to, to take this from the other perspective or the, the other direction a little bit too, because that's kind of needed because this is a nuanced take, and also because uh, Nathan mentioned exceptionalism. This is not an idea of American exceptionalism. Our, our revolution has to be totally unique, so different. Every revolution has to take Marxism uh, or Marxism-Leninism and apply it to their material conditions, and these are our material conditions. The colonialism, we are a settler colony, yep. and we are a settler colony that is also a hegemonic empire. And it is also run with, you know, an extraordinary violent, extraordinarily violent carceral state to hold up race relations that are rooted in the slavery that the wealth of this country was built on, save, of course, the land theft. Um, these are very real material conditions, and this is applying it to those. And additionally, this is not a, a drag on communism. This is an endorsement of communism, Marxism, Leninism, because with that applied to these material conditions, the only way, the only way we can decolonize is to take away the colonial relations and the byproduct of them that holds them up and reproduces them in imperialism, and that is capitalism. And the only yep. way to overthrow capitalism is to seize the means of production. And the means of production includes lands that indigenous people have a land relation to, and it includes the wealth of this nation that was robbed away on the backs of slaves. So it better include giving land back and a better include reparations and it better include you know turning again when you seize the state and you create a state you're getting completely rid of, of the carceral straight and the police force but you're also going to have to have your own you know essentially red army right proletarian people's army and uh so we need a trotsky we need a trotsky is what you're saying 
We need no, some. Stop it. <laughs> uh, and your and your own, you know, rehabilitative uh, apparatus and our rehabilitative apparatus and, and our, our liberation army, other than defense, of course, is always for is going to have to very, very heavily focus on, you know, getting rid of racism, misogyny and these oppressive colonial structures. Yep. Amen. Calhoun once said with perfect truth. There has never yet existed a wealthy and civilized society in which one portion of the community did not, in point of fact, live on the labor of the other. That's a that's a thought. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Governor McDuffie of South Carolina said, God forbid that my descendants in the remotest generations should live in any other than a community having the institution of... Of domestic slavery. Hey guys, go figure out where Governor McDuffie of South Carolina was buried, uh, and go piss on his grave. Uh, my uh, all of our South Carolina listeners, I beg of you, I beg of you. I know there's at least one or two of you. Treat that man like Margaret Thatcher and just piss all over his grave because that is the most mm-hmm. abhorrent sentence I've read today. Maybe it gets blurry because we've read a lot of abhorrent sentences, but that's pretty <laughs> fucking bad. <sighs> The South elected to make its fight through the political power which it possessed because of slavery and the disenfranchisement of the poor whites. It had, in American history, chosen 11 out of 16 presidents, 17 out of 28 judges of the Supreme Court, 14 out of 19 attorneys general, 21 out of 33 speakers in the House, Eight out of the 134 foreign ministers. It demanded a fugitive slave. 80. Wait. 80 out of 134. Yes, I apologize. It demanded a fugitive slave law as strong as words could make it, and it was offered constitutional guarantees, which would have made it impossible for the North to meddle with the organization of the slave empire. This is right back to conservatives are better at playing politics than liberals seem to be, because this is the same. They do it with brute force. They do it with, they they don't give a shit who what what you think they they give electoral colleges three fifth compromise um, bullying they, with with judges it doesn't matter they they'll, they'll know play. who they're who they're who butters their bread for lack of a better word they know where their base of material support is and they cater to it exclusively and they give no fucks what anyone else says because they know their support is not based on what some other nonsense person 150 or 3,000 miles away gives. It's their base of support. That's who you cater to. And they've done it from this time straight through to now. It has never stopped. And even when, you know, liberals are fighting them and genuinely tell themselves and believe they're fighting them, at the end of the day, in the back of their head, even if they don't consciously think it, they know where their interests lie. Oh, yeah. they're not going to fight against these, you know, reactionaries for the people. No, 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 no. no. Their job is to go up there and give a great looking spirit. They want to go up there and be Rocky. They, you know what? We're okay losing. Let's just go the full round. Let's make it look like we gave a fuck and then let Apollo Creed kick our ass. And then we're still the winner at the end. Everyone thinks Rocky won in that movie, right? Like he's got the statue. He got his ass kicked. He got his ass kicked yeah. for however many rounds. Just hung in there. That's all the fucking left in this country. Left, and I say people that are not explicitly hard are Republicans. That's all they try yeah. and do at this point is, well, we showed We're up at- and gave it a fight, right? We we clapped yeah, and we filled or- our ice creams. We filled our you know freezers with ice cream and we've done our part. Look at us go. 
Yeah, and at the time of this book, hard to Democrats, but whatever it is, the, the <laughs> reactionary force. Y'all know what we're saying. The, the the liberal force, you know. Exactly. Yeah. The great the great ideological give and take of our generations. Yes, yeah. <sighs> so the the South was assured of all the territory of Southwest Missouri, Woo! as far as Cal- California. Oh, Southwest of Missouri, even worse. <laughs> as far as California. It might not have even extended its imperialistic sway toward the Caribbean without the effective opposition from the North or Europe. The South had conquered Mexico without help, and beyond lay the, the rest of Mexico, the West Indies, and South America opened a Southern imperialistic enterprise. Oh, dear so, God. If that's not a terrifying... Yeah. Can you imagine... just The, the open veins of, of Latin America are bad enough as it is. Can you just... Uh, unbridled antebellum imperialism? No thank you, please. Please, God, no, thank you. Most of, most of these countries, if they weren't banana republics, they were sugar plantations. It's not that far off. And it yet it could worse. get worse. <laughs> <laughs> People in white seersucker suits could have shown up and that would have been worse. The South dominated the army and navy. It argued that a much larger proportion of the population could go to war in the South than the North. There might, of course, be danger of slave insurrection and a long war with actual invasion, but the possibility of a long war or any war at all, Southerners discounted, and they looked confidently forward for either an independent section of the United States or an independent country with a stable economic foundation, which could dictate its terms in the modern world on the basis of monopoly of cotton and a large production of other essential raw materials. The more things change, the more they stay the same. same. (laughs) God damn it. The South was too ignorant to know that their only chance to establish such economic dictatorship and place themselves in a key economic position was through a national economy in a large nation where a home market would absorb a large proportion of the production and where agriculture led by men of vision could demand a fair share of profit from industry. When, therefore, the planters surrendered this chance and went to war with the machine to establish agricultural independence, they lost because of their internal weakness. Their whole labor class, black and white, went into economic revolt. The breach could only have been healed by making the same concessions to labor that France, England, Germany, and the North had made. There was no time for such change in the midst of war. Northern industry must, therefore, after the war, make the adjustment with labor, which Southern agriculture refused to make. But the loss, which agriculture sustained through the stubbornness of the planters, led to the degradation of agriculture throughout the modern world. Due to the stubbornness of the South and the capitalism of the West, we have built upon the world an agriculture with minimum of machines and new methods, conducted by ignorant labor and producing raw materials used by industry equipped with machines and intelligent labor, and conducted by shrewd businessmen. The result has been that a disproportionate part of the profit of organized work has gone to industry, while the agricultural labor has descended towards slavery. The West, instead of becoming a culture, a country of peasant proprietors who might have counteracted this result, surrendered itself hand and foot to capitalism and speculation in land. I want people to hear that and realize that not only is it important to understand the relation and the concept of this book and the slavery itself and not downplay that, heavily focus on that, but also apply that today with raw material um extraction from the global south through imperialism because that's exactly the relation you see and that's where additionally 
on top of black and indigenous people of color being the, the main focus, but of course, any person of color, uh, the main focus of, of our revolution here, uh, the anti-imperialism is a huge key because the subjugation of the entire global South to American hegemony is the exact same relation that was described here. Yep. The abolition of American slavery started the transportation of capital from white to black countries where slavery prevailed, with the same tremendous and awful consequences upon the laboring classes of the world which we see about us today. When raw material could not be raised in a country like the United States, it could be raised in the tropics and semi-tropics under a dictatorship of industry, commerce, and manufacture, and with no free farming class. The competition. Uh, oh yeah, of course. voice touches on exactly what I was talking about. Uh, he, of he, does. he does that. We do that from time to time. <laughs> Shut up and let the voice talk, David. Oh, it's it's talk. what I think all the time. Uh, I hear it in my sleep. The competition of slave-directed agriculture in West Indies and South America, in Africa and Asia, eventually ruined the economic efficiency of agriculture in the United States and in Europe, and precipitated the modern economic degradation of the white farmer. While it put into the hands of the owners of the machine such a monopoly of raw material that the domination of white labor was more and more complete. The crisis eh, crisis came in 1860. (laughs) Not so much because Abraham Lincoln was elected president on a platform which refused further land for expansion of slavery, but because the cotton crop of 1859 reached the phenomenal height of 5 million bales as compared with 3 million in 1850. To this was added the threat of radical abolition as represented by... Drum roll. The only good white person, John Brown. The South feared these social upheavals, but it was spurred to immediate action by the great cotton crop. Starting with South Carolina, the Southern cotton raising and slave consuming states were forced out of the Union. Now, I I want to point out, too, that I guarantee you the slaveholders at the time did not give a shit the real reason for the crisis. It was definitely blamed on on those those damn abolitionists ruin our economy and damn Abraham Lincoln and his his liberal bullshit with free and slaves. I mean, you know, that's true. You know. Oh, yeah. They wanted an excuse. They needed any sort of justification humanly possible. Absolutely. The reason for doing this was clearly stated and reiterated. For a generation, belief in slavery was the southern shibboleth. Sure. Another quote. (laughs) Suspicion of a heresy on the subject of the peculiar institution was sufficient to declare the ineligibility of any candidate for office. Nay, more. Orthodoxy began to depend on the correct attitude toward the doctrine of the squatter of sovereignty and the extreme view held as the federal protection of slavery in the territories. Jefferson Davis said that the North was impairing the security of property and slaves and reducing those states which held slaves to a condition of inferiority once again if i would have just shut up the voice would have said it <laughs> oh it happens to us time and time again senator, senator tombs, tombs. Oh. said that property and slaves must be entitled to the same protection from the government as any other property that's uh that's a sentence i guess protect your small business except wow way more gross wow yeah way more fucking gross The South Carolina Convention arraigned the North for increasing hostility to the institution of slavery and declared for secession because the North had assumed the right of deciding upon the propriety of Southern domestic institutions. Guys, it's time for some secession. But it's time for some secession 
next week here. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, yeah. It is. It is. In fact, it is. In fact, that time again. Uh, we must. We must once again part with you. Uh, because hey, it's Nathan, it's been a contractual amount of time. We should hash this out now. Uh, oh, we did four and a half pages. Was Uh-oh. it four pages or five? Uh, no, we did four four and a half. Okay, no, we were halfway down the one page, and then we read a paragraph. No, that was four and a half. It's five. It's five pages. I call it five. Yeah, I'm calling it five. Calling it five. If by the end of the book, if by the end of the book, we've read more pages than are in the book, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care. We'll get there. <laughs> oh god yeah but so we are uh starting starting next week we're gonna uh, i assume by the looks of this escalate the uh the the calls for secession and the south mm-hmm. completely uh under you know overestimating their their hand calls as it were damn lincoln ruining everything and causing an economic crisis yeah abolitionism a bunch of calls for i imagine uh things that aren't states rights that will suddenly become states rights 150 years later are going to start popping yeah. up left right and center here yeah. Um, fucking Pelosi ruined our economy by getting elected and not talking about slaves. Uh huh. A kind of lot of lot of parallels, I'm sure that we can draw, assuming we're allowed to come back here and that the mm-hmm. the great pandemic has not claimed any one of us. Uh, you know, there there we stand. Uh, that being yeah. said, uh, if you would like to engage in some of the great uh discourse that goes on in our DMs or in our email, because mm-hmm. again, we 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 generally do appreciate it when people have takes i i promise you we will try and get back to as many of you as humanly possible if not all of you absolutely uh to interject on nathan's riff that i know i know exactly who's going to say here so i feel like i can interject without him hitting me in the face through the computer um i'm going to say reiterate as i always do uh that this is first and foremost supposed to be an enhancement to a reading group you already do with an organization or party if that is not something that you are capable of this can be your reading group along with reading and if it has to be just your reading or cliff notes we are more than happy to provide that to whatever makes this more accessible to you Uh, but the more people that discuss the better so if you do do a reading group or catch something on your own uh, or give us any input like what we got this week or any corrections all that does is make it better for everyone because this is to help everybody's understanding out of theory and to sharpen everybody's praxis that being said that's what david wants i would like a personality cult um, so, you know, we each, we each have our own goals in this, but, but mine, mine is to definitely have pictures of me hanging around that you all have to recite prayers to in the morning or something to that effect. I want, I want lapel pins of me. Lapel okay. Pins. Oh, ooh, that's, ooh, that's much better. You're right. Damn it. I should have gone with the lapel pins. Um, <laughs> that being said, um, if you want to engage in that fun discourse that we have back and forth, because again, we, I, I, I promise we will try and elevate as many, as many voices as we can. So if we're, if we're wrong or you've got a good, if you've got an opinion that we didn't think about i promise we will try and do exactly what we did here and that is blasted out at the beginning of the episode so everyone can kind of you know dig on that because it's it's good and we're trying to move forward um hit us up we're at mark's madness pod on twitter um that is that is where we we mostly tweet out just good retweets uh and occasionally insightful stuff very very rarely very rarely mostly it's just retweets in our own episodes uh but the dms are open um if you want to just send us a very long form thing, you can do that at uh, marksmadnesspod at gmail.com if you want to do that privately. If you would prefer to have that long thing sent out, seen by a bunch of other uh, cool comrades that want to talk to you about it too and, and share your similar interests in in Revolution, but also playing Final Fantasy fourteen and K-pop, um, come to the Dumb and Awful Discord because that's where we do all those things. Um, and that's where we I hang out. I came to the Discord. You're not getting me to come He did. That's he, not happening. Uh, you, you know, dude, 
That's what I said when I joined the discard. And yet I'm over here standing Luna and, and just comrade Mina's going up right next to Stalin. Uh, you know, we all have, we all have to get there eventually, but you know, we all come there in our own time. Just like with socialism, you couldn't have drug me to the immortal science of Marxism, Leninism. I can't drag you to the equally immortal science of, uh, you know, Blackpink. It's just not going to happen that way. We're going to get there on our own time. But, but you'll realize so that much. endorphins are good and you should seek them out in all their forms eventually. And when that time comes, I'm just telling you, Fancy, look up Fancy. Oh, God, it's so good. Um, the Reba song? I'm, yeah. <laughs> through the webcam. <laughs> um, no. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> the Dumb and Awful Discord link is in our Twitter bio. So if you stop by Twitter, you should feel see the link to that. Jump on in. Again, a lot of good people doing a lot of good things. Um, right now, again, a lot of Final Fantasy fourteen. Y'all want to jump in and, and, and you know do some good MMOing while you're locked in quarantine and have nothing else to do? We are all out there grinding it out in Eorzea. It's a good time. Uh, that being said, this is a podcast. We read books. This is Mark's Madness. My name is Nathan. My name is David. And we will talk to you next week. Bye! Bye. Bye.